This morning we're going to continue in our study of the book of Ephesians, and this morning our text is uh, near the tail end of Ephesians 3. This is a beautiful text. It is a prayer that Paul prays for the church. If you recall last week, he, he began this prayer in verse 1 of chapter 3, but then he got so caught up with the church and the mystery of the gospel in light of the church that he just had to keep going. And so for verses 2 through 13, he talked about the church. But now finally, in verse 14, he's back to his prayer. And he starts verse 14 as he started verse 1 with the words, for this reason. So uh, this is a prayer for the church and, Lord willing, a prayer for us as a church. Let us uh, turn our attention to consider this prayer. Ephesians Three. If you have a Bible, you can turn it and see there, or if you can have a bulletin, it's in your bulletin as well as an outline to help assist you as we study God's Word. Hear the reading of God's Word. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Let me pray. Lord... We have tired minds and tired bodies, and we need your strength to listen and to hear. Would you grant us that strength? As Paul prayed for the strength of the church in Ephesus, so we pray for strength for us today. Lord, pour out your spirit into our hearts, that we might behold the beautiful things of your word. Speak through me, one of your servants, oftentimes so weak. Speak through me powerfully, strongly. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Here's the thing. I love daylight saving time. I love it. I don't have to drive home in the dark, which means I can spend more time with my kids. It also means I can stay on the golf course a little longer. But here's the thing about daylight saving time. The first day is rough. When my alarm went off at 545 this morning, my body thought it was going off at 445. And I typically don't hit the snooze button. I just don't. I like waking up early. It's just part of it's fine. But today it was tough. And I hit the snooze button twice. And I wanted to leave by around 6 o'clock in the morning. I left at 6.20 this morning from my house. Now work with me here. I think many of us feel like every day of our life is like the first day of daylight savings time. Your job becomes monotonous. The advancement that you longed for, the financial prosperity that you'd hoped for seems very small. And as a result, you're uninspired. And as a result of your uninspiration, you're tired. Some of us experience the exact opposite of this. Our job is so demanding. And you wonder how in the world you're going to find the strength to get up one more day to work ridiculous amounts of hours in a job you feel underqualified for. And you wonder... I don't even know if I have the ability to get up and do this. All you want to do is a day off so you can catch your break. I'm going to make this a little bit more personal. Maybe many of you have spent years longing for a spouse, but because you're still single, it feels like 
Things are never going to change. You've done the right things. You've interacted with respect towards the other gender, with kindness. And maybe you've even flirted a time or two. Like, hey, put yourself out there. That's what people tell you. But nothing seems to be changing. And as a result, you're left tired, wondering, is anything going to change? Am I ever going to meet the spouse that I long for? For others, children are demanding Children of all ages. For me and my wife, it feels like a Herculean effort just to get our kids into bed each and every night. And by the time they finally get into their bed, she and I are ready for bed ourselves. We're just tired. But the reality with children, as some of you know, is that this tiredness doesn't go away. Even though children grow older, the sleep doesn't necessarily come easier as you start to worry about the things of your children's life, and therefore you are tired, much like the first day a daylight savings time. Here's the reality of our church, and I want to bring it home for a lot of us in this, especially in relation to church. Church planting is hard. What we're doing is difficult and challenging. I love to watch the show The Prophet Marcus Lemonis Marcus Lemonis goes to different businesses that are struggling and he goes in and he looks at the people and the processes and the product of this company and tries to help them do their business much better. And I was watching one of these shows this last week and he was talking about, you know, I love to help businesses, you know, find their footing. But this whole idea of starting a business, that's a whole different animal. I don't want anything to do with that, he said. And as I sat listening to that, I go, that's exactly what I'm doing. Thanks a lot. It is hard work doing what we're doing. I know many of you have gone out and invited your friends to come be a part of this church. And you might have gotten a a kind, oh, that sounds interesting, maybe I'll show up. But they never show up. Or you get the, what is Presbyterian? Or what kind of church is that? Or where it is? Or whatever it is. And it's just this routine rejection that we face as a church. And that rejection... And that pushing away is tiring. It's like the first day of daylight savings. We need a power from on high. We need something that can enlighten our hearts and our minds. That can give us the strength to get up one more day for a job that seems so demanding. A job so monotonous. We need strength. You know, my favorite coffee shop, River City, just down the street, they've got this sign. And it says, there's always hope in coffee. I mean, it's a clever sign because I need coffee sometimes in the morning. I needed it this morning desperately. But is coffee our hope? Is that where we're going to find strength? Is a day at the beach going to be the place where we find our strength? No, we need power, power from on high. And this is the very thing that Paul prays for the church in Ephesus. See, in Ephesians 3, he is longing for the church in Ephesus to be experiencing a power that comes only from God. And I want you to notice this, that he actually gets down on his knees. He's in verse 14. I bow my knees before the Father. Now, a Jewish man, which is what Paul was, the tradition was to pray standing up. I mean, Jesus told this prayer 
of the Pharisees and the tax tax collectors. You know this prayer. The Pharisee comes in and he's standing and he says, thank you, God, for not making me like this tax collector. And the tax collector comes standing, it says, and he says, have mercy on me, a sinner. You see, a Jewish person always stood to pray. But when they got down on their knees, it was a prayer that meant something a little bit more. And so Paul's on his knees praying to God for this power to be granted to the church in Ephesus. He's on his knees praying for us 2,000 years later, praying for this power to go into our tired minds and our hearts and our bodies. He is praying this one thing. I think it's very fascinating. Of all the things that he prays for this church, he prays for God's power to strengthen us. And that is what uh, we are going to focus. Indeed, it is a gospel power that Paul prays for us. It's a power that is good news for all of us who are tired. And this morning, I want us to come to an understanding of what this power is. Because when we understand this power, we understand what it is where it is, what it is, and what we can expect as a result of this power. And so for this reason, we're going to look at the three characteristics of this power that I think Paul points out in this text. The first characteristic of power that you can see in this text is that the power that he prays for is a power that is granted. We see where power comes from right there in verse 16. You can see it. Paul says... This is him in the midst of his prayer. According to the riches of God's glory, may he grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Did you hear that? The power that Paul prays for is not something the church can conjure up. It's not something that we can earn. It is a power that is granted from God on high out of the richness of his glory to the inner being of our hearts. It is a power that is granted to the church. I want you to see this. I want you to see this. It is important to see who indeed Paul is praying for this. It's not a people who have yet to come to faith in Christ, but it is for Christians. It is for the Christian church in Ephesus, a place where the spirit of God already dwells. And knowing this certainly begs a question. Why doesn't God just give the church this power. I mean, that's the idea, right? Why doesn't God just bless this church from on high with power? Why is Paul praying that God grants this power to the church? Well, Paul is praying that God would grant them and us power because the Christian life is not one that is always characterized as powerful. And this is just the way God intended it to be. You see, the Christian life is just as much about power as it is about weakness. Many of us who are Christians can attest to this in our life from our own experience. We have found ourselves in this low place where God seems distant from us, impersonal, far away. And like the psalmist, we can cry out and we understand this. Oh, Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? I suffer terrors. I am helpless. You know, these low moments that we experience are not often because of our sin or lack of commitment or discipline. It is simply because God is trying to teach us something that we could never learn if we didn't have it. 
You're never going to learn about the valley unless you're in the valley. And God wants to take you to the valley. I mean, think of the biblical character of Joseph. The one we've been reading about in CBR. If you don't know what CBR is, there's a journal in the back. Pick it up. It's yours for free. I want you to do it. But it's this daily reading of the Old Testament and New Testament that we do as a church and, and, and together. And we've been reading about this character in the Bible named Joseph. If you don't know anything about Joseph, Joseph was a teenager when he was sold into slavery by his brothers. More than just being taken away from his family and abandoned by his family, he was removed from his home. Taken away from that which was most familiar. He was abandoned by his brothers, the one he loved, the one he played with. They cast him into a pit and sold him away. You want to talk about being in the pit. I mean, Joseph literally was in a pit. But his life, of course, did not get easier from there. Eventually sold off into slavery and found his way to Egypt, where he became a slave of Potiphar, one of the leaders of Egypt. And being an attractive man, Joseph caught the eye of Potiphar's wife. And Potiphar's wife wanted to be with Joseph. But he didn't want to do that to his boss. And so he kept saying no to her, no to her. And this frustrated her. It frustrated her to the point where she set up a point where she accused him of abuse when he didn't touch her. And as a result, he ended up in prison. Yet another low. God, what are you doing? I found myself in the pit once again. Why? Why? Show your face to me. Is God alive? Is God real? This is the Christian life. This is a normal Christian life. And many of us can relate to this story. But having gone through that low, Joseph began to learn something about God. Something far greater than he could have ever learned had he not gone through that. Something more beautiful and more unbelievable than he could consider. And that's this. That God is more powerful than evil. That God is more beautiful than than the things of this earth. Of course, we get this near the end of Joseph's life. His brothers who had sold him into slavery had come to Egypt, where now Joseph was reigning, being a ruler over the food. A famine had come across the land, and his brothers come to him, and they say, we need food. They don't know who he is, but he knows who they are. And in light of this, his brothers were very fearful when they learned about Joseph being basically the king. And they threw themselves down at his feet, begging for forgiveness. But listen to what Joseph says. He would never have said this had he not gone through the valley. Am I in the place of God? Do not fear. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. See, Joseph learned something in the valley that he never would have learned had he not been there, that God has the power to take that which is evil and use it for good. This is why we go through the valley sometimes. This is why Paul is praying for the church, because sometimes we're in the valley and we need to go up. It's a normal part of the Christian life to be in the valley and to go up. And this is exactly what Paul prays. May God grant you the power through his spirit in your inner being. It's not something that we can conjure up. 
It is something that's simply granted to us. Do you find yourself in the valley today? Do you find yourself as someone who feels like life has just beat you over the head? You, you, you are a follower of Jesus. You, you love him and you worship him and you know him. But there's a part of you where literally the, 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 the biggest distance in your life is from your head to your heart. You know it, but you don't know it. Is this you? Would that you have the ability, the courage to say, Lord, grant me the power in my inner being through your spirit. Would you have the ability and the courage to pray down in the valley? Grant me power. Because power, the power that Paul prays, this gospel power, is a power that is granted. It's a simple prayer. Lord, give me strength with power through your spirit in your inner being. So my friends, we get power from God. That's the first characteristic. It is granted to us. But now let us turn our attention to understanding this power by looking at the second characteristic, a power that is personal. A power that is personal. Paul is very direct as to where he prays for this power to go. You see this in verse 16, in the inner being. And then in verse 17, he tells something very similar to this line. It's a parallel line. He tells us why he prays for it to go there. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Inner being. In your hearts. Through faith. What is this inner being and heart that Paul is referring to? Okay, well, let's just talk about this for a second. What is it? Well, the inner being and the heart are two ways of essentially saying the same thing. They are that which is at the core of our being. Uh, it, it, according to the Bible, it's a place where our will is determined. It's the seat of our emotions. It's um, where we think. It's literally our core. It's our hard drive. This is our heart and our inner being. It's not just a place. Our heart is not just a place. You know, people say, I wear my heart on my sleeve. And when we say that, we're saying like the emotions. Indeed, the heart is the emotions, as the Bible says, but it's much more than that. It's what we do with our hands and how we think. It's our whole being. And so Paul is saying, this is where I want the power to go, right to your inner being. And it's deeply personal. Very personal. It is actually personal to the utmost degree. So the question becomes, for us, if God grants us this power in our inner being, in the core of who we are, what in the world are we going to experience? What is it that Paul says is going to be the result of that power going into us? Now, if you are a person in the church, you are, you are certainly, you've been in the church, you've seen the church, you have seen a wide assortment of quote-unquote power. There are traditions that say, if the power goes into you, you're going to literally talk like this. They call that tongues. If the power comes to you, you're going to heal people. If the power comes to you, you're going to become the most prosperous person that ever been. There's just a lot of these just kind of out, kind of crazy things. But let's look at what it actually is that the power in our heart, in our inner being actually produces. Because it's really important for us to see this. The first thing that I want you to see is that when the power comes to us into our inner being, we have a sense of God's nearness. That's the first thing. We have a sense that God is near. Look at the word dwell. You see the word dwell in your hearts? 
Christ dwell in your hearts? Well, the Greek word for this word dwell, and I don't want to butcher this. I've studied Greek, but don't speak Greek. Katakoisai. Katakoisai. It's actually a cognate of the word home. A home. And so when Paul is saying that the Christ may dwell in your hearts, what he's really saying, may Christ be home in your heart. May Christ be at home in your heart. When Christ is at home in our hearts, we sense his nearness. He is not so far off from us. He's not distant. He's not impersonal. He is near. And we know him. Though we are sinners, though we fall short, all that he asks is that we come near to him. And he's in us. He moves towards us and makes us his own. This is the first experience of the power going into our hearts, the nearness of God. The second experience that I want you to to, to kind of pull out from this phrase, Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith, is this, a heightened sense of Christ's lordship and love. It's not just that God is near. It's not that you just know that God is with me all the days of my life, but there's a heightened sense that Christ is Lord and his love for us is beyond our comprehension, though it is indeed comprehended. We see that Paul says that Christ will dwell in your heart through faith. And that is when we first become Christians, we've placed our faith in the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's the reality of coming to faith. He is God and king. He is the one we owe our everything to, that he is Lord. When we place our faith, we recognize Jesus as Lord, but we also recognize his incredible love for us, how he was willing to die for us. Indeed, that is what makes it easy for us to place our faith in him, that he died for us, that he loves us, that he was willing to lay down his life for us on the cross. He laid down his righteous life for our unrighteous life as a payment for our sins and as a means for righteousness extended to us. So faith acknowledges Lord, Jesus as Lord and lover. And when we are strengthened by this power, we have this heightened sense that indeed Christ is Lord and that he loves us. That he loves us. How does this practically look? How, how does this look like in our lives? How do, how do we understand? Okay, so, so we have a heightened sense of Christ's nearness. We have a heightened sense that he is Lord and he is near. But what does this look like for all of us? Practically, it looks like this, that the things of this world, the things that we look to for comfort, for life, for security, things like children, hobbies, work, family, these things begin to find their proper place. These things are not Lord. Christ is Lord. And they are just means by which Christ's lordship goes out. And so when our children are misbehaving, we don't go into what they want. No, we say I don't need them to love me, or not love me. I want them to love me. I don't need them to tell me how to parent. I'm the parent. And they might not like what I get to do, but I'm going to parent them and love them. Why? Because my love is not dependent upon whether they love me or not. My love is dependent upon the love of Christ, and I know that. You experience the love of Christ, and it actually moves you to move into hard places It's like me. Uh, uh, Let me just, uh, one of the great 
weaknesses of my own life has been, um, I guess you could call it an over-enthusiasm with athletics. Um, when I was in high school, my nickname was Dan the Fan. I just, I loved finding um, an identity in the team, my teams, especially when they won. And um, I think one of the great struggles of my life, especially having gone to Florida State University, is just an over enthusiastic appreciation and love for the Florida State Seminoles. But here's the thing. As I've begun to experience the nearness of God and a heightened sense of his lordship and his love, it's not that the Seminoles are bad. It's not that, you know, like, of course, this is fine to to cheer on my team and to, but to begin to find my identity in that, I've actually begun to not, I mean, I still get a little sad when they lose. (laughs) But my life doesn't end if Florida State loses. And that's because Christ is near at times to me. And his lordship is in my heart. And the love that I have through him is greater than any love that I could find from a successful sports team. You see, this is exactly what the power of love will do in your life. Like if God grants you the power that Paul prays for the church, you are going to notice that Christ is near to you. And the things of this world will begin to find their proper place. And it'll be beautiful. In fact, I love the imagery that he uses. Look at verse 17. What is the very imagery that he uses? Is it not rooted and grounded? It's an image of someone who's resting secure in the love of Christ. And nothing can tip you over. No persecution, no trials, no temptations. Why? Because you're rooted and grounded in the love of Christ and in his lordship. Those who experience the power personally are rooted and grounded in the faith. They cannot be pushed around by the things of this world. Have you experienced the nearness of God? Have you experienced the heightened sense of his lordship and love? Thank him if you have. But if you haven't, I I want to encourage you to pray. Because God indeed does grant it. And when he grants his power, it is indeed deeply personal. Once again, my friends, pray this prayer. The power Paul prays for us is granted by God and very personal. And when we understand this, we know where to look for it and what it is we are to look for. But this leads us to our last question. What's the point of the power? And this is the third characteristic that I think Paul drives about this power that he prays for the church. And that is that it is a power that is purposeful. It is a power that is purposeful. Look at the verse of N19. There we see the point of experiencing God's power. If you were, we're not going to do it ourselves, but if you were literally to follow the logic of Paul's thought through this prayer, it literally ends at the end of verse 19. In verse 19, it is the purpose from which this power is for. And that is this, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That that deed sounds esoteric and kind of like, what is Paul talking about? Filled with the fullness of God. Of God. All the fullness of God. (laughs) So here we go. We're going to study this for a second. If we are strengthened with power and its purpose is to fill us with the fullness of God, 
We got to understand what this fullness is. We got to understand what's the purpose for this power. Now, there are two places in Paul's letter that he actually speaks of this fullness of God, and it helps us to make sense of this particular statement. And the first one comes from Paul's letter to the Colossians when he says that in Christ, that is in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The second comes earlier in his letter to the Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 23. And he says this. He speaks of the church, the body of Christ, as the fullness of him who fills all in all. And one commentator writing on this verse in chapter 1, verse 23, says this, that the church is filled with Christ and is thus the fullness of Christ. It is the fullness of God. Now, let me bring this together. The fullness of God is the manifestation of God's presence in the life we live. So that's what Paul is getting at. What is this fullness of God? It is the manifestation of God's presence. It's where God is. And so Paul says this in Ephesians 3.19, fill with the fullness of God. And what he is saying is this, that the purpose of being strengthened with power is an increased manifestation of God in the world through the life of the church. Let me say that again because it's really important for us. The purpose of being strengthened with power is an increased manifestation of God in the world through the life of the church. When his power comes into our life, it literally is going to be a manifestation of God through the life of the church. This is a church that Paul is praying for. And it is a church that is the manifestation. It is the temple from which God dwells. And so when the power comes from on high, when people come into the midst of this church, if we are granted that power, people are going to experience God, and that is the purpose of this power. We got to see that the purpose of this power is not for our own gain and our own reward. It is for God's glory and our good. It's just not the good that we typically think of. It's for the good of others. A manifestation of God. Everyone who walks in this door, including you, if you are a Christian, long to be with God. And the church is the very place where you need to be to experience the manifestation of God's glory and person and being. It's so vitally important. So not only is it important for us to have power as a church, but I, but I, want, you to, I want you to see this. I want you to see the importance of the church for that power. Look at me at the beginning of verse, I guess at the end of verse 17 and going into 18. I want you to see the role of the church in Keeping this power going. At the end, he says this at the end of verse 17, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. What is the breadth, length, height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Why? That you may be filled with the fullness of God. So the power that he grants to us starts this chain reaction. But there's an important part of this chain reaction. And that is this as a church. We need to comprehend with each other. Do you see that? The importance of the church in comprehending with all the saints. What is the breadth, length, height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ? You see, when we come together, we actually get to experience what is the breadth, length, height, and depth. And and it sounds weird. We don't really know what this is. What is Paul saying? The, The breadth, length, height, and depth of what, Paul? 
I don't know. Wisdom, power, love. There's a lot of, but that's not the point. I want you to see this. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. It is so vitally important that we gather together and continue to meet together so that not only we are blessing to others and a manifestation of God's presence to one another, but that we ourselves are reminded of God's power and his love together. You can't do church in your bed. You can't do church listening to a podcast on your way to work. We need each other. We need each other because it is in each other that we actually begin to understand who God is and his amazing love. I'm going to make a shameless plug for the community groups that we have. These community groups are places where we actually get to talk and experience and learn from one another. Just a few weeks ago, we were sitting in community group talking about Peter and his um, his betrayal of Jesus. And our friend Scott Irby, he, he actually came up with this incredible understanding of Peter that I'd never seen. And I literally was dumbfounded. And I had a new appreciation for God's love towards Peter because it wasn't – I don't want to go into the details – but had I not listened to Scott, listen to that, I would not have a greater appreciation for the love of Christ. See, Scott helped me understand an aspect of God's love that I'd never come before. And I need people like Scott. And you need people like Scott. And you need people like Jake Baker, Hayes Riser. You need people like Kimberly and Christine. We all need each other. Because when we... When we Lean into each other. We begin to understand who God is and what his love is for us. And when we do this, we're actually manifesting God's own being. And so when we are a people that are doing this together, people come into this and they experience God himself, the manifestation of God's own being. And that is the purpose of the power to go in. That, that is the purpose of the power that God grants. I, 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 I want to say this. I, I have experienced this power in our church. This is a place where the power of God is experienced. And if you're down in the valley, don't give up. You too can experience the power. But you got to do the things that God himself, the means which God himself has aligned for his grace to go to you. Being in prayer and being in community. So, we see the very prayer that Paul prays is a prayer for power granted from God, a power that is deeply personal, and a power that is very purposeful. May God be uh, gracious to us in granting us this power. Would you pray with me? Our gracious Lord, I'm going to pray this prayer just as Paul prayed it, that it would become an ever-increasing reality in the life of our church. Lord, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of your glory, you may grant to us to be strengthened with power through your spirit and your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. Being rooted and grounded in love, we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Lord, we need this, and so does our city. Would you grant this request to us today? I pray this in Jesus' name.